I used to go clubbing as well. I mean, <laughs> this is so that is also where I found my confidence. I was a massive part of the rave scene, so I went really? from being this again. I love it. I just love it. <laughs> so I was really shy, and then I went clubbing, and for me, it was quite revolutionary. Welcome to Curious Chats and Kind Acts, the podcast that celebrates difference, kindness, and the little things we can all do to make our world a better place. Join me, your host, Sonia, co-founder of The X Charity, for some open, authentic and fun conversations with lots of interesting, extraordinary, everyday people who are all a little bit different. Prepare to have your curiosity peaked and your heart warmed as we explore the ways we can all make a difference in the world, no matter how small. So get ready to be inspired, uplifted and motivated to be the kindest version of yourself. Let's make the world a kinder place, one conversation at a time. Hello, hello, hello. How are you today? Welcome to Curious Chats and Kind Acts. In this episode, I'm speaking to Louise. I know Lou through work and she's facilitated some amazing action learning sets for me when I worked at Macmillan. Now, Lou's a really kind person and I wanted to explore a little bit about why. We talk about how she tries to radiate this positive energy and that she kind of follows that energy and the positive energy. We discuss shyness and how her clubbing days brought her out of a shell. That's an interesting one. We also talk about unkindness in the workplace and the challenges of losing her hair. Just to warn you, we do discuss drugs in this episode. And I start off by asking Louise about her childhood and what it was like growing up. Quite happy childhood. Quite a lot of clashes at home though um because dad lovely bloke but not very quite con- controlling is a strong word you know just quite old-fashioned and traditional and um like things done his way and I rebelled against that quite a lot so I rebelled against his approach to parenting but they were also you know he's quite it, the conservative as in politically which which you're probably, I guess, the opposite. The opposite, yeah. <laughs> so it felt like a bit of a battleground a lot. And, you know, being a bit of a soul voice. So it's interesting to think where that where that came from because it certainly wasn't nurtured at home in the sense of nature or nurture because that wasn't my experience growing up at all. But still always being passionate about the under the underdogs. But, you know, yeah, social, yeah. social wrong, social inequality. So you grew up in that environment, yeah. school, life, home life. Okay. You know, I think I, I reflect on this with my daughter, Fonz. I probably struggled a bit more at school-ish. Um, I'm an overthinker, quite sensitive. But I was did end up being quite popular. Didn't really date or anything, though. I wasn't popular in that sense. So I struggled to find myself, maybe. Um, and then started to flourish a bit more as I quite shy started to flourish a little bit more when I started to work and be a bit more confident so and it's interesting because the girls will look at me now and say oh you're really confident because I will literally talk to anyone yeah because there's something about having a positive interaction and radiating isn't it but you know definitely wasn't like that when I was a child very shy quite insular not really confident but always kind of knew there was something in but couldn't didn't bring it out so I definitely went on a journey of um, confidence and evolution so you're at school very shy did you do uni and all that stuff I did yeah was that good? Fell, <laughs> fell into it didn't really do any revising fell into things 
but I think I did use that as an excuse. I put a bit more work and I could have done better. Got okay GCSEs, scraped A-levels, got into University of Wolverhampton on in clearing, you know, um, did an interesting degree, started. But I think it's all part of you finding your tribe, isn't it, and finding your way. And he, I, wanted, I knew I wanted to get out of Pudsey. Pudsey, where, is that Pudsey. where you grew up? Yeah. Where's that? In between Leeds and Bradford. Okay. Pudsey Bear. Yeah. <laughs> is that where Pudsey Bear That's came from? That's where Pudsey Bear came from, I'm not sure why. It's a mid-small town, quite grey, quite not very liberal, not very diverse, still not very diverse. So, you know, all those things that I am passionate about weren't happening in, right, in Pudsey okay. as well. So I was quite happy to get So you went to Wolverhampton, which is probably the opposite. Yeah, when I, when I first <laughs> went there, the, the, the pubs used to have, you know, those signs on the on the uh, doors, no dot, 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 no students, you know. There was a list of, really? the, the, the you know, the undiversity that wasn't allowed in their pubs. So this is... Because I'm 50 now, and that's it's a long time ago. And so was that, whilst you were there, you're saying, like, that's where you first started to figure out what your tribe was. And is that the first time you probably connected properly with people? I think, well, I, I mean, I used to go clubbing as well. I mean, <laughs> this is... So that is also where I found my confidence. I was a massive part of the rave scene. So I went really? for being this... Yeah, I love it. I just love it. <laughs> so I was really shy. And then I went clubbing... And, you know, there's, there was a lot of stuff going on, but that also brought me out of my shell as well. So I know there's a lot said about, you know, certain things that went on in the clubbing scene, but for me, it was quite revolutionary in the tent. It kind of unleashed the really? person I was, yeah. So there's, you know, being in that environment with all those different things that went on in there, the music and everything else, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Because it and, gave you the confidence it. that... Well, is that what... It came out. I mean, I used to chatting and loving everyone, hugging strangers, and it was almost like... So I'd gone from this shy person to go clubbing and have, you know, and become... So is that, like, the effects of the the alcohol? (laughs) Yeah, and whatever else, yeah. It does sometimes. Like, if if I get really drunk, I get... You do start chatting, don't you? But, like, those inhibitions almost... So for the first time in your life, it's like you're free of all that I was those free. thoughts or yeah. whatever. So ecstasy, for example, was used in um, uh, in America when it first came in. It was used in a um, mediation between couples because it made you empathise and love the people you were with. So this is so when you're in wow. when you were seventeen going clubbing with all these other people, there wasn't a lot of alcohol going on. There was just all these people. Just you just would hug everyone. Everyone loved each other. We were all like, it was literally, you had all this empathy and love for people that you just go around. Everyone had a big smile on the face, dancing, feeling that. There's there's evidence, isn't there? Music and connection. So I suppose you're in this club all feeling the same way, all dancing to the same beat. It was quite powerful. (laughs) But I think there's something, I think I always knew that I had a person in, I had this confident person in me, but I was really struggling to get it out. And so I read something somewhere once where somebody said, you know, shyness is just a form of rudeness. And that was like... Of rudeness? Yeah, because, so I would sometimes go to pubs and I'd sit there and I just wouldn't talk because I just yeah. couldn't think of anything to say. But I suppose they would have seen me thinking, why is she being so rude and not talking? And it wasn't that I was being rude. It's because I was painfully shy to the point of just being lost in myself. So I, so it, the, the clubbing, I think, because it's in there and that 
helped it come out it, it doesn't go back away then does it? Right. it it becomes something that is i mean it took me a, a while i think getting out of pudsey was brilliant as well because you can reinvent yourself yeah. can't you and you all did. those people <laughs> <laughs> so like when you and i i'm not shy <laughs> you never have been so when you're shy and you don't want to talk why what's going on in your head at that point so it's not that you don't want to talk, you just can't think of anything to say. So I'd right. sit there in that put, especially in that environment. So if I knew people, it was fine, but if, especially if there was boys there, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to say, I'm just, I'm just like, so in my head, say something, Louise. Well, what can I say? I've got nothing to say. Oh my God, this is awful. Oh my God, I've not said anything. And now I can't say anything because I've not said anything. And so it, it, there's yeah. that. So it's like tor- torturing myself. Whereas, and it's weird, isn't it? Because I can go up and talk to anyone now. It's very, very weird. I think quite common, to be honest. Is it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still, you know, and, and, you know, when you do those awful, and when I say you do these awful, because I'm the person that makes other people do these awful (laughs) icebreakers, but I used to be, I used to cringe with anxiety. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't say it in a clever enough way? What if people judge me? So it's all those thoughts going on. you've always got like well did at this point these negative thoughts shouting at you in your head yeah that's quite tough actually yeah yeah so so when did they stop shouting at you in your head i think it's a it, i think the more you expose yourself to different things the less you worry don't you but i'd still you know i can still f- choke a little bit sometimes if i think you know i'd still worry about what people think of me a little bit and still choke a little bit but because you evolve, you become less worried about that, don't you? It doesn't matter. It's yesterday's newspaper. They're all yeah. your rational thoughts, but social anxiety is still a bit of still a, a bit there. thing. Yeah. Don't know why I worry what people... Even now, like, when you've been through all of this and you must know that people think you're great, but now you've still got a little voice going. If I say the wrong thing once, people are going to judge me and that'll be it. I'll be... Do you know what? It's weird, isn't it? When I say it out loud, I know it's ridiculous. But it's still but the it's reality just... in your yeah, head and yeah. you can't stop your head. So you've, you've got whatever in your system. This is like therapy. <laughs> you're buzzing from whatever and you'll chat to people because you haven't got those thoughts. What is going on in your head at that point? Just nothing. Just, just <laughs> happy, <laughs> love, love you. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> literally. I mean, I met one of my bestest, my best friends now, I met her in the warehouse. We joked because there were some steps and she was taller than me. So I, she was on the bottom step. I was on the top step and we just danced all night and she's been my best friend ever since. So. I love it. It's like... It's quite nice to hear a positive story about it. I know. I mean, I obviously don't share this a lot, and it is a bit strange, because I think about my daughters now. Yeah. And obviously there's loads of challenges, but there's challenges with all... So Because I was a drug and alcohol worker, and I, you know, you know, coffee, alcohol, cigarettes. Yeah. You know, I can't even say it. Why can't you say it? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Come on, say it, I dare you. Ecstasy. <laughs> I was in the car with my dad and that song was on before people understood like, what it was. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, it was a hidden secret that yeah. we were all part of this wonderful, amazing place yeah. that nobody else knew. And then obviously, there, there were absolute casualties and, and it is can be really destructive, can't it? Yeah. But, but so can alcohol, can't it? So it... it, it we have to learn to manage, don't we, and take what we need from those things. I mean, I might have significant dementia when I'm older. You know, you don't yeah. know what the cost is of all yeah. that as well, do you? But yeah. 
I could, I would honestly not not change that in a heartbeat. It was absolutely one of the most amazing experiences. Well, quite life changing for you in terms of who you've become and from that journey. So you're at uni having your fun and loving (laughs) the world, and then like, where did you? What did you do after that? Let's move on. Yeah, so I was kind of. I, I think I've not had a career path. And there's this thing called squiggly careers and that is absolutely amazing so you just kind of and I've always said I've followed the energy so wait there we can't just say that followed the energy <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know like when we connected you know who would have known what so you have a connect you have a conversation somebody says oh well this could be something you go oh well that's interesting and you pursue it don't you and it becomes something so I'd say when we first connected through work I got a really nice feeling after doing what I can't remember did an action learning set And I I almost, oh yeah, I want to do more with Lou. That was really good fun and she really gets me and I really get her. Is it like, is that the energy? It's a good connection, actually. You do the work you do because you want to get impact, don't you? It is about impact, isn't it? So if if you're doing something you enjoy, it feels positive and you get an impact and you can get paid to do it. I think that's all brilliant. So it's kind of following that energy. What am I good at? Where am I connecting? How am I making impacts? And how can I follow that? So I've squiggled. I haven't, you know, I didn't think, right, I want to end up, I wouldn't, wouldn't even know the job I did, the job I do, apologies, you know, an OD, I'm organisation development practitioner, professional, whatever you want to call it. You wouldn't have started out at school yeah. like that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, so I went, I went, um, couldn't find a job was temping what was your first job at uni then well it was at pub so I've so I was temping at well I was temping at Britvic I had a year out and I was working in the offices and this te- same temping agency there was a pub in Pudsey that because um, I was back in Pudsey that um she'd had to let some of the staff go because they were stealing money so she brought in four of us to work one shift to, from this temping agency so I ended up working at the so this is what I mean it's weird so you kind of you take opportunities and follow energy don't you yeah. or opportunities maybe but so I ended up working at the pub and then her she on the pub and her daughter and I are now really good friends and so you kind of found your tribe and I worked there for a good few years kind of managed it but, but even though you're back in the conservative pudsy, yeah. but did, because you'd been through this happy experience and had more confidence, did you go back almost a different person? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, with a different, yeah, and met different people and had a different, you know, social. I mean, it was brilliant. You know, I lived with Sarah. We were still going clubbing. We had amazing friends. It was a really good time. And again, there was something about me in work behind the bar if I'd have been on the other side of the bar I'd struggle to have the conversations but because on this side of the bar in a role I was really I could be the friendly yeah. radiator and it was in those conversations where people said you know you really look you know you're always championing the rights of others why don't you look and it was like oh yeah why didn't I think of doing that as a job so volunteered with Homestart have you heard of them they they be, you'd be, become a befriender with a a family who's at risk who were known to social services and you befriend the mum with the child and do all that kind of stuff. And then it just followed, I followed the energy from there, I followed the passion, connection, energy, whatever. You know, I'm, probably I'm quite driven. You know, it is nice to have a, to have a, a, a title of such as, do you know what I mean? I've always wanted to kind of do better and yeah. become more successful, but always making sure you, you're having a it is it's impact but that's like because you said in the pub you started off as a temp and then ended up managing the pub that that's clearly well, yeah. <laughs> a bit of drive isn't it yeah yeah probably a bit of snobbery as well isn't it it's terrible isn't it you know I don't think it's that I think it so and for me it's more around status I think yeah. your job gives yeah. you a status yeah 
yeah. and having to let go of that I found a bit tricky but yeah and you, you keep it, it's and it's like a societal pressure to keep wanting to move upwards is almost this pressure that we should always be going up yeah um so we've we've finished at the pub and you've was there a moment where you're like now I want to do I want to do something that yeah was there? What was that moment? Well, no, this late night chat when somebody, it's weird, why didn't I think of myself? They'd literally said, why don't you go into that? And I thought, oh my God, why don't I go into that? And then that gave me a bit of focus. I I left the pub, so I had different hours. I was working at British Gas in a call centre, but with the aim to do the voluntary work that yeah. would then get, well, I think I wanted to be a social worker, Um but and, and I've never ended up doing, that's always been an issue for me as well. I've never ended up doing my social work qualifications. So I've always felt like I'm a, you, you, you know what the NHS is like as well, yeah. clinician versus, yeah. you know. So that's always been a little bit of a hang-up as well of mine, but loved all the jobs I did, but always wanted to grow. Worked in a hostel for homeless people, then worked in the... This is the thing, I suppose, wherever I am, I might come into contact with another role and think, oh, that looks good, and then generally I'll end up finding a way to go into that role. So when I was at... When I was working in Weatherby, in this home for people with learning disabilities, we also had a hostel for homeless men. So, oh, I want to go there. So I applied and yeah. found a way to get a job. And then when I was working in Dewsbury, got into contact with Lifeline and thought, oh, I really want to work in that drug and alcohol. So I managed to get into there. So I suppose there is there is a, a path, but it's squiggly in yeah. the sense that, you know, when you when you f- find connections and find things that you're passionate about, you want to follow I it. I think you're just a bit fickle. You're like, I, oh, I like, I like that, that job. <laughs> Oh, that's the next shiny toy. I'm going to do that job. Oh, I like that job now. I'm going to go and squiggle. It's just a... I'm a magpie. Yeah. yeah. A job magpie. So what's going on personally at this point? Have you met your nearest and dearest yet? Yeah, I met Darren. We were out in the Faversham in Leeds. We actually, actually, we had mutual friends. So Sarah, I was mentioning, we were in this big group of friends by that point and her boyfriend knew Darren and we'd been out once, I remember. And I remember thinking, you know he's quite nice but he's with someone and then the next time I met him we were all out and he wasn't and then we ended up getting together I always remember I had chopsticks in my hair and he pulled a chopstick <laughs> out it's the thing we always talk about um, and he was living in Peterborough so that was quite an exciting time going to see him and then we did have a bit of a wobble it was a it was a trying time for us where we split up and he went off and traveled the world and I went and I went clubbing in Leeds <laughs> you got it wrong there <laughs> Magpie's not done well for you there. <laughs> but we came back together. We were always we're always in touch, and we and we ended up coming back together. And it's been it's brilliant because I think I wanted to go off and try being single, yeah. but I still love Darren. So yeah. I'm actually really lucky that I could do all that and yeah. then still be with Darren. And it's always like actually the grass isn't that greener. <laughs> Darren said the grass might look greener, but it still needs mowing. <laughs> How did he make you love you more? He made me feel like I was somebody that okay, was lovable. Yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, very compliment. Like I'd never, it's ridiculous, silly things. Like I used to hate my legs. My dad called them rugby players' legs, whereas dad was like, you've got great legs, why don't you? Yeah. It's really silly little things. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we know loads about gaslighting and the effects of um, difficult relationships. And I'm just really lucky that I met Darren yeah. or somebody else because I was, we are, I was. Very impressionable, clearly. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And 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 I, and you, my view of myself is probably crafted by how other people see me. And it fits with the whole 
social anxiety thing, doesn't it? You know, what well, if I say something wrong and I'm judged? Like, that comment from your dad stayed with you, didn't it? All that time. And it was probably an insignificant comment to him. Yeah. But to you, it's... I don't know, I love it when people get together and they improve each other. Yes, I exactly. Think that's what yeah. is beautiful about that relationship. And I did definitely improve Darren as well, you know, not I mean so his mum died when he was fourteen and that, that was something he really carried around and he's grown, I've grown and luckily we're growing together. Yeah. And and and, and helping each other grow as well yeah. which is lovely and still do that you know that's what I think is beautiful about a longer term relationship in that you grow you have to grow together to stay together I think yeah, yeah. That, you have yeah. to make a conscious effort to do that sometimes yeah. so we're back with Darren excellent news yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, career wise on track then came along the most important things in your life yeah of course yeah the girls it's been amazing I've really enjoyed it we do, we went travelling this summer uh, three months around Europe on the train yeah. it was just having that time because they're 13 and 14 now having that time together and you know like I'll, one of the I just remember one of the you know when you have a little when you think of a holiday you have a little mental image and the mental image of that holiday is us for and a train carriage playing cards you know explored and yeah. adventured together it was amazing so yeah. I feel that you know they're nice I like spending time with them they're nice That's kids ace. Yeah. yeah I mean they're a nightmare as well obviously obviously yeah and we when we did our first trip with the kids it's it's special memories, isn't it, that'll stay with them, hopefully, but yeah. us forever. Yeah. So in terms of, like, throughout your life, have you had got any examples of where you've experienced kindness? Lots. Yeah, lots. And I suppose, you know, that's probably part of what, what brings me here today because, you know, we work together and you, I see you as being a, you were really kind to me and you were a big support to me when I was, you know, that was quite an early part of my um freelance career doing the actual learning I was massive you know that, that they, they were some big development points for me in terms of putting myself into scary situations yeah. and, and thriving and you were on that journey with me and you I think you believed in me as well which always which gave me confidence so I mean you know you could call that you can call that kindness can't you and I think kindness in work is massively underrated why can't we be kind to to each other where what is it that stop what is it that makes people become mean and unpleasant in work I'm meeting another colleague later and I told her where I was coming in she said you're very kind Louise and I think but I think you give and you get back don't you to yeah. people that you've connected yeah. with so if somebody gives it's nice to give back and that's just the way it works isn't it because I'd say from that experience actually I was getting a bit of a Brucey bonus because you're really good at what you do so for me it wasn't an act of kindness it was a I felt really lucky that we could get you. So that, like, from my perspective, you're one of the best at what you do. And but from your perspective, you're actually quite shy and nervous about yeah. doing it. Yeah, it's really nice of you to say that, though, as well, because I think it is about smoke and mirrors a lot. Sometimes, you know, you go into scary meetings or doing things that are developmental. People don't know what's going on in your head, do you? I think that's a really interesting point. We should be more mindful to tell people when we think they're good. Like, I probably never, like, I used you because I thought you were great, but I never probably voiced that out loud, going, I think you're really good at what you do. And I do try and do that more now, but I think that's something that we, if you think someone's great, bloody well tell them. Yeah. So give me, give me a personal example of an act of kindness that you've either done or... There's, 
enumerate daily, I would say, because if you look for it, you can find it. But I didn't have a pound for a, a trolley. And so somebody said, have that pound. I thought it was lovely. And then I thought it's about how you share that. So when I'd finished my shopping, I went and intentionally said to somebody, somebody showed me this kindness, so I'm now giving oh. you the kindness back. You paid it forward. <laughs> I the ripple, ripple yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's big and small kindness, isn't there, I think. What's the biggest? I mean, I don't know if it's the biggest one, but um, I've got a wonderful neighbour. Before I moved into the house I'm in now, I wouldn't have known. I was always a bit like, oh, keep away from your neighbours because, you know, don't get too close. She's amazing. Uh, And we were having some work done. Everyone talks about the dust, don't they? And we got to the point of, oh, my God, the dust is ridiculous it's awful Darren had gone away the house was cold it felt dark and stank and Rachel said come round for Sunday dinner and come and stay so we went from this cold dark house because we were living there and we'd got a makeshift kitchen and there was dust everywhere and we were living like in a little bedsit thing and I went to stay at a house and she made roast chicken dinner and she put me in and I, I will remember that you know literally going from cold and dank to warmth and glowy and Rachel being lovely and making a roast chicken dinner and we're going down and, and she let us stay over in this lovely bed with <laughs> you know so that was a big kindness really yeah. you know and I will never forget it because it was just at the right time is that the kind of thing you're thinking yeah, about yeah because again there's something for me it didn't actually cost a lot it, it, it was time and effort and thoughtfulness um and have have you like had any unkindness would you say in your in your life yes like what well in work I think I think there's you know you could people get so what people will do when they are in a working environment especially when they're stressed or when or when relationships break down people can be so unkind well you know bullying and Mm. and and meanness and so when I'd been at Leeds Council for a significant amount of time and the manager there, the senior manager, was known for, like, picking people off. It's, it's interesting as well, isn't it? Because I, I've done a lot of reflection on this and I was really angry and it did feel like a really difficult time for me. But, you know, nobody's a bad person, either. So w- what happens when people are in those kind of roles and they get that power and then they get a bee in their bonnet about dot, 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 and then she used to pick people off and then eventually it was my turn to be picked off and just, you know, un- uh, undermining and not supporting and and feeling awkward and you know in the in the interactions you know people freezing you out you know all those things yeah. and it's just so significant meanness in in a working environment and and the sad thing is you know because of the job I do OD and we go and see dysfunctional teams all the time yeah. our places our groups are it is so common isn't it for yeah. people not to be kind to each other but they're not bad people so it's really interesting and yeah. it, I do puzzle over it a lot what is it what stress and power and how that can really mean that relationships well, break down and, and I think some of it is it happens over a period of time because I don't think you ever start a job thinking I'm going to be mean but actually within that role it almost becomes acceptable because of that behavior mm. pattern growing and growing until the point where it's horrible for that person mm. so how did you deal with that in terms of well, you left, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was I went off and sick. 
You were, you were, in terms of your mental health. Uh, exactly, yeah. It's off. I was, when I went to the doctor, and, re- and you don't, you don't realise how stressed you are, do you, until you stop yeah. and then look back. And I was like, and then it did knock my confidence for sick. And it was a really difficult time, but it was, abs- and I, I, I did this, you know, I talk about well-being at work a lot. And those difficult times are times of growth because it is the best thing that happened to me, yeah. leaving Leeds yeah. and having all that happen and, and surviving it and being and believing in myself. So maybe that, has, you know, maybe that was the culmination of all that thing. So whereas now I probably do believe in myself a little bit more and I, I am in a much better place in terms of work. I think, I, and I think what you said is completely right. So I think I am really conscious because I am quite a giving person, but I I do like things done in a certain ways. But I'm really, really careful. Not I don't ever want anyone to feel like that. But we all have the potential to be that person. Yeah. I think, and we have to guard against it. So I think we've got to be aware of it all the time. Yeah, and and I can think back to when I've been in a, a similar position and how that made me feel. But what I what I really liked is that actually you grew from that. So how did you become more self-confident from being told you were shit effectively? <laughs> I know. It's weird, isn't it? So my phrase was keep going. So I was applying for jobs. It was very difficult. Didn't know what the future looked like. Keep going. So I'd little I'd literally had a little mantra, keep going. And Darren being amazing. Yeah. He's very helpful. And having brilliant friends. And and I think from keeping going and keeping trying and rolling with the punches, you 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 learn that that you you can believe in yourself and you can survive. So I think it, this it, it, you're right. It's ironic that you have to almost go to to the bottom to believe in yourself and then grow from it. It's weird. I agree though, because when it happened to me and I was in the bottom and I got myself out of it, it was horrible. But when it happened again, I knew. I knew that I was going to get out of it, even though it was still horrible. Yeah. I just knew that it would get better. Yeah. And unless you've been there and climbed out of it, but that actually gave you self-confidence, which is really interesting. And resi- it's resilient. Resilient, resilient yeah. isn't it? You know, so I agree now. I am not, I will look at other roles, magpie-like, but in a different, you know, but I I, I, I think I did get stuck in it at Leeds. I felt like I wouldn't be able to find another role blah 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 and I don't feel like that anymore yeah. I feel like I can move so I did you know one, one row previous to this wasn't quite right for me so I moved and yeah. it is, it's great that isn't it that you've got the confidence to do that yeah I've just looked at your hair oh yeah <laughs> I haven't mentioned yeah. it yet yeah what what in terms of the journey just to explain to people yeah, so I, I have alopecia. What age were you when you? So it was I was pregnant with Florence when it started. So quite falling old, out. Not old, but yeah, <laughs> mid mid to late thirties. Like it wasn't a thing that happened when you were younger. You were yeah, you were quite self confident at this point actually. If you look yeah. at your journey, yeah. So pregnant with Flo, and then it started falling out, and that I mean that's been a real journey. And then when I gave birth to it, literally started growing back. But then this whole thing at Leeds, the stress, it did start falling out again, and then it was growing back. And why then why did you get alopecia? Al- they don't really know. Okay, they don't know. So it's an autoimmune disease that that they don't really understand. Stress is a, is a factor, um, but then I'm not stressed now, and it's not growing back now but it has grown back a few times I managed to get treatment great place at Salford this wonderful consultant but it's it's fallen out a number of times but that's a journey in itself because it's it 
you know, it is difficult for a woman to lose the hair and to and and have a sense of I and uh, you know a sense of self. You know, because I suppose because it is like and I it is a sense of identity actually. Yeah, it is. I always remember one person saying to me, she said, I'm really sorry, Louise, but my mum's got cancer, but she didn't go for the treatment because she didn't want to lose her hair. And I thought, oh my God, I'm so, so, so I'm so glad. I mean, I, I thought I found that a bit insensitive. So well, what are you saying that I'm not, I just thought it was very strange. You know, I would never have, not that I can afford it, I wouldn't have plastic surgery now because I'm not, I, I, it doesn't bother me that much because I don't have hair, doesn't matter what, I look like, so it's probably been a bit of a journey of, I mean, I don't, I'm not brave enough not to wear my wig in public. And I've become less brave around that, actually. Um, and I don't I don't hide it, but I don't share it willingly. So I feel it, it took me a long time to get used to it, but get, having a good wig helps. And, right. And, um, and the love of a good man. Yeah. He is really good, though. He's never, ever made me feel, you know... Like, but you wouldn't go out in public with no hair, no, why? I don't, no, just the judgment. And and have you been out and people have judged you? Or you've just never even attempted it? I've I mean, there's no attempted. right or wrong. <laughs> no, I've never attempted it. I think I might have done it in the garden a few times, but I won't even do that now. I think I think because, it, you know, I like to wear, I mean, I like to wear, I like to look a bit on point. Not all the time, it's not massively important to me, but so I, I and I, so it would feel like I was being, I was, oh, look at that lady that's bald, poor. You know, I don't know. Do you think people would feel sorry for you and assume you've got something else? That That is quite common, but that, that wouldn't, it, it would be more that I would be seen as not attractive. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Not that I care, but I, <laughs> I want to say it out loud again. Because I, I remember when it had been growing back and you did, you didn't have your wig on because yeah. you had enough hair to... Yeah. And then it fell out again. Yeah. Various trigger points. But I do think stress hasn't helped that journey. So, but you'll kick around the house like the kids oh, are used God, to yeah. seeing you. Yeah. I will take it off with friends or family. So that's fine. But kids struggle. Like my nephew at the minute is like, Auntie Weezy's hair comes off. Auntie Weezy's <laughs> hair comes off. <laughs> Because he's probably, it must be a weird thing for a kid though, you know, like what is going on? Why does her hair yeah, come off? But it's, and it's really a big part of who we are, hair. It's weird because it's just hair. It's, I know, I know. I am probably, it took me a long time to look in the mirror and not hate myself. Yeah, it's weird actually. I've just realised now it has a long time, like only in the last year, bearing in mind some 50 now, so it's over 10 years, yeah. that I can not not wince. Sometimes I used to, I look like, I mean, what's he called? You know, in the Adams family, the bald guy. You know, if I'm not taking my makeup off properly, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I'll represent sometimes. You know, and they're not too, you know, a woman doesn't. Don't want to an analogy, you know, the two people that you identify most with, the President Ziff and the bloody, you know, <laughs> Uncle Fester, that's who it is. That's not you really, you know, you want to be Marilyn Monroe, don't you know, Uncle Fester, so. <laughs> but I don't hate myself as much when I look in the mirror now. I can, I, can, I've, I can accept what I look like. You see, my solution is I rarely look in a mirror. <laughs> not, not on purpose, I just don't. So you don't have mirrors in the bathroom? Yeah, but I don't really look in it. I don't really care what I look like. I don't ever... It's weird, isn't it? I love it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But what a healthy way to be, though. Because so, so that 
think about me describing myself as shy and really it's social anxiety isn't it I think yeah and you you don't describe yourself as shy and don't care what people think literally like you will go out however you want because that but but that that's interesting isn't it so yeah. mine is mine is social anxiety worried about people thinking even now to a lesser or greater degree yeah, yeah. I'm more I'm more unconscious I'm not I'm not consciously thinking right I've got to look good because I want everyone to like it. it's not but yeah. Unpicking it now with you, that's what drives it. But you don't have that, and that's why you don't. You'll say anything, do anything, wear anything, because you literally don't care what people think. Is that right? I think so. I don't I don't know, because the, the kids are the most honest people, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, like, yeah. what have you got on there? <laughs> I'm like, oh. So I think maybe as I've got old... Nah, I don't, I don't give a shit. Who am I kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I remember I did an interview... And they were coaching me on what to wear, and I did. I got a personal shopper. <laughs> did you? Got, oh, yeah, just because I wanted the job. So maybe I do care because, but I, I guess a lot of people buy my clothes for me as well. I don't even shop that often. It's weird. I've never really thought about it. Yeah. You are what people aspire to be in. God, but we just us. get, <laughs> but we just get caught up in it, don't we? You know, we shouldn't care what we look like, should we? The girls won't walk out of the house with us now cause it, in case they get seen by the friends because it's yeah. embarrassing to be seen with your mum and dad. The way we kind of move towards the end is we think about a kindness summary. So, like, what can people do that would enable you to be the best you? And, and we're not having, in the kindness summary, go out and take ecstasy. Just, just <laughs> so you know. That is not in. However much it helped you, it's not in. We, yeah. We're not condoning drugs on the back. <laughs> I think the big thing for me is kindness in work. And I know that compassionate leadership is a thing now and everyone talks about it. I, I believe most problems in work are most, most relationship breakdowns come from misunderstanding. I passionately believe that. Maybe that's why I do the job I do as well. And if you can unpick where you're at and empathise with other people, most, I, I, I know it's probably a bit naive, I think most things could be sorted because I inherently believe most people are good. We just get into bad habits and where that's most pronounced is in the working environment. So I think, like, we should all be ready to hear that we might be bullying somebody or not making somebody feel good and be ready to take that on board, honestly reflect and do better and be kind to others. Yeah, so I think for me there, what can I do or what can we as a society do is be more open to feedback actually, which is a hard thing to do. You've got to be in a good place to be able to not take that personally. But actually we all get stuff wrong every day. In systems leadership at work, we talk about leaving your ego silo and logo at the door, you know, so when you're going into those places and you're having those conversations, if you do, if you leave those three things there, you're having better conversations. So I think, especially what you just said, then if we, we we all have an ego, don't we? Yeah. Especially in the working environment. So we and and working environment apologies. So if somebody comes to us and says something that bruises our ego, it's very difficult to take that on board. But our ego needs to be pushed back, doesn't it? So that whatever we are told, we can accept. Yeah. Even if it's difficult, even if it's something that's, you know, for me, if somebody said to me, "You, I feel like you're bullying me, Louise." That'd be really hard to hear because it's absolutely against my values. But I've got to leave my ego at the door to hear it so actually there's a there's a thing there about being brave enough to challenge people because that's hard I I, I hate conflict and you know but actually 
if someone is doing something that we're not comfortable with, then then be brave and, and talk to them about it. Brave adult conversations. Yeah. And what about non-work? What about throughout life? Any tips people could take home and to be kinder as a society? I'm trying. I'm just trying to think about, you know, the whole how we judge other people and how, you know, but I mean, I'm terrible when I... First thing I do is Google celebrity news on a morning if I can't sleep. I mean, that's so embarrassing, isn't it? Because that is about judging others, isn't it? So how do we stop the judgment? Or do we have to accept this judgment and still live our lives? I don't know. It's a hard one. I And I think the whole social anxiety thing's hard because like, as soon as I said, oh, maybe go and talk to, talk to people if you think they're being quiet... That that that's not the answer necessarily. No. So how how what is the answer? How can I, as a society member, support someone yourself when you're you know take yourself back to your your nineteen year old yeah. self pre the love phase? <laughs> 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 like what what is there anything? I don't know. It, you know, like if we, you know we're doing actual learning set or doing some kind of you do contracting, don't you? And so I'm always really conscious in my contracting. If you want to sit there and not say anything, that's yeah. absolutely fine. That's yeah. your personality type. So could we do you know life contracting <laughs> so that my, that my 17 year old self would think would wouldn't be sat there going, oh god, everyone's judging me for not talking. Instead, I'd be going, it's okay because if I want to sit here and not say anything, I can, and yeah. that's fine. I don't, I don't know whether you could get away with that in the pub, though. Right, everyone, I'm just drawing a his flip chart. <laughs> so we need a way that it's socially acceptable to sit there and be quiet. Just, yeah, be yourself. You, you want to talk, talk. If you want to do a silly dance, do it. Let's not. Let's try not to judge. Let's try not the, to. I judge think the answer other. is somehow not not making the person feel judged. Yeah. Let's ponder that. Uh, well, because I need to do that. <laughs> I mean, you do, it's part. It's part of what you know. Part of what kept us safe as cave people yeah. was those judgments that we unconsciously make about things, so that we can navigate the world, can't we? And and, and react. But it, they're not always that helpful, are they? Because you mm. know, I don't like it when I judge others, and I don't want to be judged myself and that I think that's the interesting thing because you you feel that you're judged but you're probably not being judged yeah because Louise people have got other stuff it's not all about me (laughs) (laughs) yes good points on you yeah so so actually it's about making a conscious effort for number one don't judge people which is a hard one to do because we some of that is instinctual but actually don't assume that other people are judging us and so what if they are so what if they are yeah and maybe just maybe they're thinking louise looks on point today rather than thinking yeah why don't we you know why don't we think that because that's interesting because we started this conversation with you being miss positivity but when it comes to your own head you miss negativity isn't that interesting it's so interesting what so i can't give to myself what i would give to others so therefore your last point of act of kind kindness summary start being kind to yourself yourself. how are you gonna do that lou game on (laughs) (laughs) um yeah be kind to myself. accept you know and if i do judge people accept it if i don't judge people Mm. accept it be kind to myself yeah do you know i know somebody who 
and she's a very confident person. She says when she she walks into a room and people are laughing, she assumes it's because she said something funny. Whereas if I walk into a room and people are laughing, I'm like, oh my god, what have I got? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So it's like, how can you how can you do that though? How can you, you reframe it thinking? for other people? Yeah. So you've done that journey if it's for other people. Yeah. But when it's for you, so now you've got to figure out what that journey is for you to be an internal radiator. <laughs> Yeah, I'm spouting shit. Now. No, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Shine the glow on myself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, when but you've I'm... got the answers, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I'm massive on appreciation, though, and I love to do it to other people. So I just need to do it to myself, my daughter. Yeah. Well, you know, oh God, you unleashed a monster. God, I'm looking good today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Check> me out. <laughs> I'm gonna look at that mirror and wink. <laughs> Or maybe I shouldn't look in a mirror. Maybe maybe that's what I could do. One day, I'll go out one day and not look in a mirror. Yeah. And see how that goes. There we go. I've got you thinking. <laughs> I know how much you reflect. That's your journey home sorted, isn't it? <laughs> Fab. Well, thank you very much for that. It's been fun, actually. Really enjoyed it. I'm not sure what you... I don't know if you could use any of this, but it's been brilliant for me. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's really good. therapeutic. I'm really enjoying it. If you want me to do a testimonial on how good doing these <laughs> interviews feels, just ask. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. It was lovely to have you. Can I just say a massive thank you to all the people that we've interviewed who have been so honest and vulnerable with me so that we can have these real-life stories to share with you, our wonderful listener. And remember, we'd love to hear what random or small acts of kindness you've been up to so that we can maybe do a few. Find us on all the socials, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and all our forward slash acts GB. That's A-C-T-S-G-B. And drop a comment on our feed, tweet us or even send a photo. Let's build our kindness community together. We'll read some of our favourites on future episodes of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. And you never know, we might even have a go at a few of your ideas ourselves. Watch this space on the socials. For more information about the Acts charity, including how to donate to us, head to actsonline.uk. See you next time.